Facebook. Looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here for this new week of African Dialogue. It's a new month. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where you get the African perspective. My name is Benjamin Mushatam. I'll be with you for the next hour. And uh, today, you're listening to us on the shortwave frequency. If you're listening to us uh, on uh, the uh, frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And uh, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we are on the channel 802 on the audio book. You can also stream us live on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, the issue of the attacks that we saw last week in South Africa in the looting in Soweto. It seems like South Africa has an an amnesia of sorts in its social context uh, because we know that uh, when these kind of attacks uh, started uh, sporadically in 2008 when we saw the so-called xenophobic attacks at the time, uh, they started through this particular way where um, foreigners' uh, puzzle shops uh, were actually uh, attacked. And we saw this happening once again in Soweto, where four people died last week in South Africa's biggest township after residents went on a looting spree of about 200 uh, foreign-owned shops claiming that they were selling rotten goods to the communities. The pictures went viral on social media showing the violence that was unfolding and soon it had spread to other parts of the country and 27 people have been arrested so far uh, for public violence and some leaders believe that this is a symptom of far deeper issues affecting communities uh, that need to be addressed such as unemployment and poverty. I question that particular issue and ask uh, is that also not something that we should include of some form of Afrophobia that's also needs to be addressed in the context of South Africa. Well, helping us on this particular uh, subject, we joined on the line by Gashwell Brooks, who's the spokesperson of the South African Human Rights Commission. We also have Professor Sheila Menkis from the Department of Political Studies and School of Social Studies. And we also have Klebrand van Yerden, who's a researcher from the Center for Risk Analysis. Well, I want to start with you, uh, Professor Menkis, in terms of looking at uh, this particular issue whereby the the conversation always seems to run away whether as South Africans we always blame this kind of looting on uh, uh, the issue of unemployment it seems to be the problem of poverty what people seem to say but we never really focus on the Afrophobia that is really experienced in these particular instances why are we shying away from that particular um, uh, taking responsibility as South Africans and we always make it a socio-economic problem well, I think it is both, isn't it? It's mm. both a socioeconomic problem sure. and Afrophobia, but something lies behind that, I think. And I think that's what we don't discuss enough. And that is something that is, was raised by a colleague from Stellenbosch, uh, uh, from um, UWC, Professor Andre Stotoy, who was director of the Institute for Poverty, Land and Agrarian Studies, who points out, I think, something that we need to really come to grips with, and that is 
something that he calls historical justice or injustice. And overcoming this inequality and poverty, it's a perennial problem. And I mm. think it is, you know, we live in an age of anger. We live in an age of anger globally. We see it mm. in, in, all over the place. And I think that despair and frustration and anger is reflected in this projection onto foreign shopkeepers. It takes a form of Afrophobia, but it is the closest kind of object that is other in those contexts mm. than in, in other places. So I think it is partly a projection. Mm. Um, and I think we do need to come to terms with what lies behind this, what is being projected. I mean, there's no doubt that the behavior is in itself absolutely criminal. It's, sure. un it's unacceptable. Mm. Gosh, well, let, let me bring you into as uh, into what uh, Professor Sheila Menkes is highlighting then to you know what is actually uh, behind uh, these particular offsprings of um, uh, violence that we see, especially onto uh, foreign um, foreigners in South Africa. Especially, we're seeing a target specifically on Somalians in this particular case that happened last week, and uh, we seem to be actually conflating a lot of. Uh, issues around the real issues around why we're seeing these attacks. How do you make sense of seeing this resurgence of the attacks of foreigners in South Africa? Well, good morning, Benjamin, and good morning uh, to the listeners, of course, and the professor as well. Look, uh, the concern for the South African Human Rights Commission is, of course, that there is a lot of speculation and thought that needs to go into um, you know, the, this idea of why these attacks do happen. What mm. the concern of the Commission, though, is in this particular instance is that they are happening in the first, uh, you, you know, that they're happening in the first place. Um, it is of serious concern, and it's something that needs to be dealt with very quickly. And, yes, there is obviously an understanding that for us to uh, deal with this effectively, we need to get to the root cause. But I think the first thing that we want to do is to, well, the need for these, uh, you know, for, for the, not the need, but the occurrence of these actions. Because first and foremost, what we are very surprised by is that we have seen um, in this instance, um, the allegation by community members is, of course, that there's uh, these illicit goods being sold within their communities, uh, whether it be um, uh, counterfeit goods or expired goods, and, you know, it's a danger to the society and mm -hmm. so forth and so on. And that is something that obviously is quite clear as daylight. Uh, you know, we don't uh, suggest for a moment uh, that people should be exposed to dangerous goods. But at the very same time, what we are disappointed by is, first and foremost, we saw action in Nukuruleni by way of one example where um, the mayor as well as uh, officials from the Department of Health had actually gone out and conducted raids and all kinds of other inspections to ensure that these goods are uh, removed from stores, that people start complying with trade, um, uh, you know, uh, not agreements, but rather trade certificates and so forth and so on, mm. and to make sure that businesses are run effectively. So sure. what we're seeing is that there was a response by government. Mm. Even though this had, and we know that if you are on social media, chances are you've come across these uh, videos of strange things swimming in, uh, you know, carbonated soda bottles and, 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 you know, all kinds mm. of other allegations doing the rounds. But the fact is we saw action being taken. Why it then necessitated us seeing people going out there and taking the action that we saw during the course of last week that led to the deaths of multiple people is of serious concern. It needs to come to an end immediately.
Mm. Because as you very correctly pointed out, it is then in turn directed against non-national persons. Um, you know, and, and in this instance, uh, directed largely at uh, Somali shopkeepers as well as uh, Pakistani, if I'm not mistaken, sure. Bangladeshi shops mm. te- uh, shopkeepers. Mm. So this needs to come to an end, and that's that's our uh, first and foremost priority in this instance. Okay, Gebrand, let me come to you in terms of that particular um, reality, because sh- should we be actually more cautious and be more aware as South Africans, especially around these particular issues because we do have, as I mentioned when we started the program, an amnesia of sorts because it seems like year in, year out, there seems to be uh, a bit of this reoccurrence of these attacks on uh, uh, foreign nationals and it's something that has become kind of a trend year in and year out and it seems like we don't have uh, a solution for it. Yes, I don't think this problem will go away anytime soon, especially if you take into account what is happening currently in South Africa. Um, in the last few years, South Africa has entered a period of low growth. We have a population growth rate of 1.6% that exceeds economic growth rate in 2000, 2016 of only 0.3%. Another problem is is um, our economy is becoming more sophisticated. That means there is a bigger role played by the finance industry where you mm. find mo- most of your high-skill jobs, whereas um, sectors such as the manufacturing and the mining sectors where you find most of your low-skill jobs are in decline. Mm. Uh, for example, the finance industry between 1990 and 2017 has increased with more than 1,000%. Mining has decreased to 33% and manufacturing has decreased to 23% during that same period. Now, if you couple that with South Africa's poor education system, then we sit with a recipe of disaster. Um, only half of pupils who enter grade one in South Africa make it to matric. The need rate, that is now people in, in employment, education, and training, um, has increased from 43% in 2015 to 44% in mm. 2016. Um, so what this means is there's a mismatch between the skills being provided by our education system and the skills required by our more sophisticated economy. And what are the results? We sit with a nearly 30% um, unemployment rate. Um, we see that GDP per capita, who has been steadily increasing since the financial crisis in 2008, has suddenly taken a dip in 2016. Um, upper bound poverty, um, uh, that is now people who are poor but can still buy food and non-food items. Um, that has increased in recent years from 53% to 56%. And so... Now, what you see is um, a, a gradual decline in living standards in South Africa. People are becoming more frustrated, they're becoming more desperate, and now there needs to be a target for um, people's growing anger. And unfortunately, our elections are every five years, so people don't want to wait until five years to vent their frustration on government. So what happens is... Um, they started, uh, a, a lot of these desperate people started turn towards um, foreign nationals and their shops here in South Africa. Um, uh, research by the South African Migration Program has shown that 30% of South Africans want a total prohibition on foreigners coming to work in South Africa. And another 48% want strict limits to entry 
um, for these foreign nationals. And then earlier studies have shown that a third of South African citizens believe that foreigners should be reported to believe to police mm-hmm. and be deported, sure. while another 11% was actually prepared yeah. to do the job themselves mm-hmm. using violence. Well, we're going to contextualize that as well, Brand, because I think those statistics that you've brought forward need to actually emphasize some of the points that were brought forward by Professor Sheila Menkes. But let's just go on a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, really try to expand this conversation. Today, we're looking at the concerning issue of uh, uh, the looting in foreign-owned shops in South Africa. We know it was happening last week, and it seemed like this week it's out of uh, the news uh, um, a timeline in South African mainstream stream and maybe that's also another problem that we, we forget so quickly and we always look at uh, sporadic circumstances and after them we kind of forget as a country at looking at uh, what is the root problem of these uh, uh, raids or looting in these foreign owned shops. It's very worrying for me where I'm sitting. I think we're sitting on a time bomb especially when you hear uh, Hebrand highlighting that particular issue of the socio-economic challenges that are faced when it comes to unemployment and poverty in South Africa. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Channel Africa, leading the Women's Month conversations. It's 21 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Just a reminder, around 11.45, we'll have our business news. And thereafter, we'll have our African sports updates that are coming from our news team. Right now, we're looking at the concerning issue of the xenophobic attacks that we saw on... Is it xenophobic attacks? That's another question as well. Some people say it's not, so maybe I should correct myself there. But people are saying they are... um, uh, it's looting on uh, foreign uh, nationals, and I, I think that's that's just a different way to say xenophobia. Um, but that's another issue, isn't it? Professor Sheila Minkis, looking at what Hebrant was highlighting, especially the fact that you know, emphasizing what you were saying on a different note with statistics that there is a huge unemployment and, and poverty problem in in South Africa, and that's probably deepening this issue. But do you think we should actually um, be asking ourselves the question that I asked after the break, whether it's xenophobia or not, should that not be more of our focus? And also the fact that maybe we should deal with that Afrophobia first, since the unemployment issue is going to take us a very long time to actually remedy. Look, I think they're connected. That's the problem. I mean, it's a chicken and egg, isn't yeah. it? Because, because um, not that xenophobia is new. I mean, we've had this since 1994. We've had annual, it's like a sort of annual repetitive sure. uh, experience for, for foreign nationals, particularly Africans, and Afrophobia is a good way of putting it. Um, Yes, I think that is something we have to talk about, you know, and we have to have every time a minister or anybody else opens their mouth, they have to condemn it. You know, our African brothers made possible the survival of our government in exile. 
and mm. people opened their doors to South Africans. They were incredibly hospitable. And look how inhospitable we are all being. And, of course, the big question is why. Why are we like this? Why are we being... We are recovering, of course. Mm. We're a damaged country. I mm. think that we can say that. We're mm. damaged. All of us are damaged in one way or another. And we haven't taken to constitutional democracy very easily at the level of our lives. We haven't yet learned to, to, to do that. But I think, I really do believe that the social conditions of marginality and poverty, mm. the exclusion of people from being able to participate in this economy that uh, Mr. Van Heerden was talking about, is, is a, a really, it's also a root cause of all of this. And, and in a way, the claims that people are making as they act like this is they say, okay, so you're opening the doors to foreigners, mm. and we, the people, aren't able to have the same kinds of, of um, opportunities. And I think that's part of it, it's a denunciation of their own social conditions of marginality. It's a kind of, um, it's a response also to a kind of sense of entitlement mm. about a better life for all. Mm. So I think there are a whole range of things happening and it's very complicated. Incidentally, I also agree with what Mr. Brown was saying, that we, that we have to, Mr. Brooks, sorry, mm. that we have to deal with the immediate criminality that is going on. We have to try and stop it. So when we hear, when the police hear that something like that is happening, they should be there and they should be stopping it. They should be intervening. They should be putting, them, putting themselves between the looters and the shopkeepers and protecting everybody. And that's not happening. There isn't that kind of accountability mm. from the state taking place for the people that we have allowed to come in and, and, and to, to become... Um, shopkeepers and to make a living and to find a better mm. life for themselves. I mean, they're coming from mm. terribly marginal situations themselves. Sure. And we need to know more about that. I mean, that's also another factor, mm. is that people understand so little sure. about where people are coming from. They're coming from situations that are war-torn, where people are suffering, where there are terrible things, worse things going on than we can even imagine. Mm. Gosh, well, from from your perspective, how do you contextualize this, especially from a human rights perspective? You know, I can't help but agree with uh, the prof's uh, sentiments in mm. this particular instance. You know, uh, prior to joining the South African Human Rights Commission, I actually worked with refugees and asylum seekers, specifically in Southern Africa. Um, and we, you know, at the time we were based here in South Africa. So obviously did a lot of work within South Africa, as well as in the rest of Southern Africa. And, unfor- and the reason why I'm bringing that up is, is because of exactly that uh, con- lack of context and co- contextual understanding, is that these are people that occupy, live, and work within our very communities, and we fail to understand what circumstances they have escaped to come to South Africa. Now, of course, not every single person that has left their country and is present in South Africa is either a refugee or an asylum seeker. However, they have left behind very difficult circumstances and if given a choice would rather be back home, at home, within their home country than be in a country where they speak a different language, there's a different um, cultural norm um, and, and they are treated as outsiders. 
However, people are within South Africa and the rights, and we are very lucky in that we have a constitution that extends uh, rights. The Bill of Rights, Chapter 2 of the Constitution, extends to all within South Africa. So it doesn't matter your nationality or what your documentation say, if any documentation whatsoever. But you have human rights. And the issue here is, is that we're not at all, as the South African Human Rights Commission, saying that we need to ignore the rights of locals of South Africans. We're also not suggesting for a moment that those rights are not important at all. They are. But what we need to learn, all of us as South Africans, is that we need to act within the scope and the course of the law. And it's it's especially disappointing under these circumstances where we have action being taken by local government, by government, within a legal framework, that there's still a resort to this type of action. And it's, 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 stark, it's, it's actually quite stark and quite shocking to see that this action was taken at a time or the day after we had action being taken within Ikurileni. So it means that political leaders and, and community leaders within those communities should have taken that opportunity to say, but hang on, where's our councillors, where's our uh, local leaders, our mayor within our particular city, so that they can take similar action and actually go and look at what we have been complaining about, because this is a health threat. This is a threat to our livelihoods on a day-to-day basis. And that is what we are asking for as the South African Human Rights Commission, is that in as much as there are difficult circumstances, we can't wish each other away, because today we're basing it on nationality or country of origin. Tomorrow we might base it on race. Today, uh, you know, soon after that we might base it on someone's sexual orientation or someone's gender identity or whatever other category that you can imagine as stated within our constitution as well as the Equality Act. Um, and, and that for us as, as, as the South African Human Rights Commission is what is of concern. Because yes, um, as you rightly pointed out, Benjamin, as well as everyone else uh, you know, on this uh, panel today, is that we've seen tons of looting. It's, it's, a, it's an annual event, so to speak, sadly enough. But in as much as it might be an annual event, what is even more disturbing is the fact that we have loss of life and it's a, it's, it's a mainstay of, of mm. these actions. And it's not improving those socioeconomic conditions that we are discussing at the moment. Mm. Because within weeks, within days, we find that those very same traders return to those communities. Sure. Because those very same communities then turn, uh, turn around and say, but hang on, whereas we had the convenience mm. of not only price, but also accessibility, where I could walk to go mm. buy necessary groceries, but now I have to incur further cost by having to go catch a taxi for these very same items. Um, you know, we, we see this as a recurring event, and, and many people have gone through multiple events mm. of, of these xenophobic attacks. So surely this is not a, a sustainable solution either, and it rather becomes uh, an instance where people vent their anger uh, at the expense of other human beings, and that is what we are concerned with. That is what needs to... Uh, and yes, of course, we do recognize that there's a broader... Uh, conversation, whether it be socioeconomic rights based, sure. whether it be living conditions and the anger that the Prophet pointed out earlier on that we, we, we seem to have not been able to shake off since 1994, we all need to deal with those things, but this is definitely not sustainable in the least bit. Well, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to come back to you, Gebrand, because I want you to really help us understand the context of the cycle of this trend, especially when it comes to risk assessment and analysis in this regard, in terms of how the country should be viewing this, also from not just a, an intelligence viewpoint, from a, also from a policing perspective, but also how do we also... Um, 
change uh, things from a, a societal viewpoint? Those are very difficult questions. I don't know how you're going to answer that, Brand, because it's actually a time bomb. For me, when I see the cycle going on and on, uh, that's the wiring factor. So how do we have any historical, empirical evidence that we can work from so we can change behavior patterns and also stereotypes around it? Let's deal with that after this. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Well, today we are contextualizing uh, the issue of uh, uh, the attacks on uh, uh, foreign nationals, especially when we look at their spaza shops or their shops uh, in the townships in South Africa. Well, it wasn't in a large scale last week, so we don't want to be alarmists. But last week we saw this um, uh, attack in Soweto of various spaza shops, and it was very worrying when we saw the images and also four people died from that situation. And that's where I want to take the conversation with you, Khabrand, in terms of uh, do we have empirical evidence, maybe historically, that we can work on to change the behavior patterns and also how we as a, a country, whether it's from the state or from me and you as, an, as a society, how we can actually change our behavioral patterns and deal with these uh, issues uh, on the ground? Um, yes, so one thing... Um, I think a lot of South Africans will have to come to terms with is the fact that um, immigration levels to South Africa will continue to be high, uh, not just for the the reason that um, many of the people who come to who come to South Africa are fleeing war or political repression, but also relative to other African and Asian countries, South Africa does have, despite all its problems, a relatively stable econ- economy that does provide opportunities. Um, most of our um, most of the foreign nationals in South Africa come from countries such as Somalia, Malawi, the Congo, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. And South Africa's GDP per, per capita is six to twelve times larger, uh, depending on which of these countries you look sure. at. Um, so there will always be an influx of uh, foreigners into South Africa. Um, and we should welcome them um, because uh, I think the, some of the hostility towards foreign nationals um, comes from the perception that, oh, no, these, these, these foreign nationals are coming to our country, they, they're just taking jobs, they're not paying tax, um, and they're not contributing in any way to our economy at large, but that's simply not true. I think um, if we want to change the behavior of South Africans, um, I think uh, we can do one of two things. The, the first thing is to fix South Africa's socioeconomic situation, um, because when everyone's richer, um, 
anger will um, naturally subside. But I think another more important way to um, to 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 uh, go against the misconceptions surrounding foreign nationals is to um, uh, give an indication as to how they are providing positively to the South African economy. Now, the uh, research from the South African Migration Program, um, they've interviewed more than 1,200 uh, migrant businesses in Johannesburg and Cape Town recently. And it was established that foreign nationals are actually um, uh, good at creating job opportunities for South Africans themselves. Uh, the research has shown that uh, it was established that roughly a third of the foreign nationals' employees are South African. Then also, in, there, there's a lot of uh, revenue that comes from rentals from foreign nationals. Um, so research has shown that 80,000 South Africans at least are renting their spaza shops to mm. foreign traders. Mm. And this is only a figure of what we know of, because the research is quite limited when it comes to uh, this kind of topic. Mm, mm. But if we, for example, take into account that um, Status A has established that there are at least mm. 1.7 million um, foreign nationals in South Africa, mm. and if we also take into account that many of these people, if not the majority, can't buy property because they don't have bank accounts or they don't qualify for RDP housing because they're not South African sure. citizens, um, the only option then left to them is to rent property from local South Africans. So local South Africans are benefiting from this. And then also the fact that um, the, the idea that foreign nationals aren't contributing to the economy uh, are not contributing to the economy via tax. That's also untrue. Um, foreign nationals in Sparta shops and that are participating in small-scale street uh, trading, uh, they can't escape paying a VAT or VAT on goods they purchase from wholesalers. So I think we just need to um, inform the general South African populace of the benefits mm. that foreign for nationals do have for South Africa. Mm. Professor Menke's interesting points coming out there from Gebrandt um, uh, there. Um, I'm interested also in the first part of his uh, response, which is around the unemployment rate, bringing that down. That's not an easy uh, thing, especially with the um, economic constraints internationally. Look, I think, I think that obviously economic questions are absolutely vital. People are desperately poor and are angry about it. We aren't seeing a better life for all emerging out of our um, democratic uh, transformation. You know, and people's hopes and dreams are, are being dashed because mm. of that. So, so for me, uh, a really important issue, and, and it's one that, that I think as human rights defenders um, those of us who are working in that that sphere are concerned about is that we we do need to have the state um, putting more resources into perhaps what one might call transformative e education. Sure. Now, of course, the Human Rights Commission and the Gender Commission and other commissions have got um, have got mandates to work on those issues, but it's not nearly enough. And my view is 
that we need to be doing a, an awful lot more uh, about around integration, intercultural education. And I think that there are very imaginative ways of trying to promote integration in ways that will welcome foreigners rather than make them seem to be people we don't want. You know, there's a lot of talk now about building um, camps for refugees. Well, I think that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. I think it will just fan the flames of the kind of xenophobia that we already have. And rather than do that, we should spend money on programs that will integrate people, that will help our own people understand more. And, you know, it happens in schools. It happens in churches. It happens at sports events. And I think that, you know, these spas associations that are so antagonistic towards the foreigners mm. also need some of that sure. kind of transformative sure. intercultural education so that we can, we can move forward and stop being seen as a fearful place for foreigners to come to. There's no alternative. You know, Europe has is, is become fortress Europe, so people are now looking southwards. So, so I, I think that's important. And I, I fear that there is really quite an alarming complicity of the authorities mm -hmm. in the kind of xenophobic responses that we've seen even in this, this last period. Mm -hmm. You know, the police turn their backs on the looting. Local authorities make remarks that, that are really, that, are, that really fan the flames of that. You know, the mayor of Ekuruleni um, wasn't very helpful either. And the local spas uh, association used this as an opportunity to say, we shouldn't be given licenses to, to, to foreigners to, to set up commercial enterprises. Now, all of that is absolutely unacceptable, and it should immediately have been responded to by the state. You know, instead, we have to we have, to have uh, the commissions reminding the states of what the Constitution says. Sure. And, and that's what, what we need to be doing. Mm. We need to be pushing for... Um, a much more open, democratic culture mm. in the society. Kashwa, let me end with you in terms of, do you think that's uh, achievable in such a, a fragmented society such as South Africa that's also polarized in its uh, political views of foreigners, as uh, Professor Menkes was highlighting there? I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, I, I was listening to both what the Prof was saying as well as Gebrandt, and I mean, I think they hit... Uh, uh, the nail on the head, uh, proverbially there, because um, as, as Gebrandt had highlighted, is, is that part of what we need to do, and I think it's also a very difficult campaign to embark on in any event, because I do believe that there is uh, political experience or, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of rallying people uh, around a inverted commas, um, common enemy. And this is what we're seeing in this particular instance where uh, non-national persons are then pointed out as being the common enemy. So whether we're giving them uh, difficulties within the schooling environment because we don't want to admit um, the undocumented learners or we don't want to provide them with education or health care or whatever the case is. There's always this common enemy in that it's the other person. So what we're doing sure. in othering others is that we're fueling this, uh, this, this idea or this notion that there's always someone to blame uh, for sure. you know whatever misfortunes have befallen you. So whether sure. it be um, unemployment, poverty, or whatever the case is, this unfortunately happens. And mm. it's true what the prophet is saying, that, that there has been, on numerous occasions, uh, the use by, uh, you know, by, by some political leaders 
of use that uh, of words rather that do fan these uh, flames even further and and do create the impression that well they're on our side in any event we have governments backing we have the authorities backing so whatever action we take um, you know no matter how unjust how unlawful how it violates uh, the rights of others is fine we protect it because they on our side they understand our bidding whereas there's a fundamental failure to address socio-economic mm, rights is mm. a fundamental failure sure. to deal with sure. issues such as unemployment and inequality that fuels this any fur- you know, even further. So rather than dealing with the core issue, the actual problem, what you're then doing is conveniently uh, deferring it to other people that do not have control at all mm. of the situation whatsoever. Mm, and of mm. course, there is a recognition and understanding that any state mm. has a, a responsibility if not, mm. um, the you know a duty to maintain its borders, to regulate migration, and all of those things. So that's obviously something mm. that we will not ever dispute. But simultaneously, then we need to understand that whatever circumstances we have within the country, mm. also they need to cater for that. So if we are going to take a strong stance, not that the commission will ever um, support that, but we have a strong stance on migration and you know we make things difficult for people to get into South Africa mm. well then let's then it's the state's responsibility to maintain that mm. if we are going to say that we are an inclusive nation as we are based on our constitution and our legal system mm. where we do actually um, make it possible for uh, refugees asylum seekers and migrants to be actually integrated within our communities then we need to facilitate that. Mm. And it's not good enough just having a, a, a beautiful legal framework, mm. but you need to open up dialogue between the various groups. And it's not just one way. It's not just based on South Africans, uh, mm. as in uh, South Africans born here mm. and, and who have a, you know, a documentation stating that they're South African. Mm. But people entering the country mm. also need to be given the opportunity to say, come in. In, you know, give them an opportunity to invite us in, so to speak, mm. and to enter their world. Because unfortunately, um, based on borders, uh, you know, based on, on, on ironically, uh, colonial ideas, mm. we worlds apart. Mm. And, and we are the ones failing ourselves and not wanting to open up those doors. Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you. Uh, I think we need a national reawakening project of sorts that's going to really, really change and shift our, our mindsets as a whole. But thank you to all who contribute to our program and our panel today. Thank you to Professor Sheila Menkes uh, from uh, the WITS Department of Political Studies and School of Social Sciences. Thank you as well to Gebran van Heerden, who as a researcher from the Center for Risk Analysis. Finally, but not least, I want to thank uh, Gashwal Brooks, who is the spokesperson of the South African Human Rights Commission. We really appreciate your assistance and helping us contextualize these issues as they are complex and they need a lot to be done to remedy uh, the ills that we have seen last week. So thank you all for your assistance. Only a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you so much.